If you would, take your Bible and open to Genesis chapter 12. Kids, I don't know if you're excited to go back to school or not, but next week you get to go back to Elevate for Children's Church, okay? So one more week, your parents are probably ready to send you back to school, and they're ready to send you back to Elevate as well. So uh, I want you to know about that. Now, we are beginning our Route 66 Bible reading project. This is not the graphic that we're going to use for the whole project, but this is the one that Jaron made for me. This is why we employ Gwen to make the graphics and not Jaron, is for moments like this. Now, if you're wondering what the Route 66 Bible reading project is all about, whoops. You've come at the right time. Got a lot of things to show you here as we get started. Here's what we want to be able to do. Go quickly to the next slide so we can get away from that one right there. Okay. Here's our goal. Here's what we want to do. We want to cover 66 books in 66 weeks going through Scripture. You may every year have a plan where you read through the Bible, a Bible reading plan that you follow, and we would say, great, go with it. Keep doing that. A lot of people, though, maybe feel overwhelmed when they go to Scripture. It seems like this huge task, or you say, I'm going to read the Bible, and you get started, and you start to feel overwhelmed. You may admit, you know what, I believe in Jesus, and I own a Bible, but I have to be honest with you, it's been quite a while since I read the Bible. We want to begin, as a church, working our way through Scripture. And so we're going to cover 66 books in 66 weeks, which conveniently takes us to Easter 2020. Here's the way we're going to do that. If you need a starting place, just a place to get started, we have selected one chapter from each of the books, so your starting goal might be, I'm going to read one chapter from Genesis this coming week. You say, well, how would I know what chapter to read? Out in the lobby, if you have not already picked them up, are these Route 66 Bible reading booklets. Equally, equally, if you have turned in your email address or if you would like to receive, even if you think, you know what, I'll probably never come back to Emmaus. It's just, either I'm just visiting or this probably is not the right place. I'd still like to be a part of this. If you will fill out one of those guest cards in the seat back in front of you and put your email address on there and put it in the offering plate during our final song, we'll get you signed up. Tomorrow morning, an email will go out about the book of Genesis, plus you've got the same material in this little booklet. Whoops. In addition, in addition to that, if you want to read more than one chapter, we have an option in here for you to read one chapter per day. We pick five chapters from Genesis that seem very core to this process. We're going to do that. Here's another thing I would really would encourage you to do in this Route 66 project, and, and I would just urge you, borderline beg you to do this. As a family or in your home, your apartment, where you live, commit to read the chapter that we're reading as a church to do that as a family. 
So what that looks like is your family, you may do Bible devotion or, or family worship four or five nights a week. Man, that's great. Go for it. For a lot of people, the idea of reading scripture together in the home or doing that at the same time, you may all read the Bible separately at home, but the idea that we're going to gather and do this as a family, as a group, may be really new to you. So our family will commit that one night this week, or one time this week, we're going to get together and we're going to read Genesis chapter 12. In the email that we send you, there's going to be a link in there to a... Um, a worship song that connects to the book. You can listen to that as a family. Just gather together. You may have been married 40 years and say, you know what, we both read the Bible every year, but we've never gathered together and read Scripture together. I'm just urging you that in our homes, we make reading God's Word part of what we do. And so one time this week, let me encourage you to get together as a family and read Genesis chapter 12. And then around the table or in your living room, ask this question. We have been blessed. How can we be a blessing to others? We have been blessed. Ask your kids this. We've been blessed. God talks about how he's blessed Abraham so that he can be a blessing to others. We've been blessed. How can we be a blessing to others? It'll take probably five to eight minutes, maybe ten minutes. Almost certain somebody will get in a fight at the table during family worship or during Bible reading time, that's okay. That's how these type of things work. We just want you to gather together and, and read God's Word. Kids, if you guys would like a chart to keep track of your Bible reading, there are charts available out there for you to hang up in your room. If you want to hang this on your fridge and you have the biggest fridge ever, we would love for you to do that. Hang this on your fridge. Put this somewhere where you can use the other thing that we have out there available are, book, are bookmarks that you can put in your Bible. Same plan, you can follow along and put this in your Bible and track along week by week. All right, that's my sales pitch. Here's the heart of it. We desperately need to get ourselves into God's Word. We need to do that. We need to do that individually. We need to do that as families, and we need to do that as a church. And I'm excited about seeing what it looks like to go through this process together over these 66 weeks as we cover God's word and think about, God, where, where are you guiding us? Here's what we're going to do this this morning. We are going to do Genesis 12, the beginning of Genesis 12, together as a church this morning. And the activity that we have set aside for this week in your little Route 66 booklet, we're going to kind of preview that. So essentially, I'm giving you the answers ahead of time to this week's Route 66 Bible reading that we're going to do. We're going to do that together this morning. So Genesis chapter 12. In fact, before we read Genesis 12, I want us to read the first verses in Genesis chapter 11. So you may need to scroll up in your phone or turn back to the left a page in your Bible. Let's start with Genesis chapter 11. And read the first four verses there, and then we're going to skip to chapter 12. Here's what God's word says. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. 
Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Then skip over to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you right now. God, to to focus our hearts and our minds, to to slow ourselves down. Father, thank you for the gift of being able to sing together, the gift of being able to study the Bible, just the gift to give hugs and care for one another and encourage one another. God, we know all of those things have to be empowered by your Spirit. So God, we come before you in prayer. God, I pray this year as we seek to read scripture as a church that that would drive our prayer life. God, that we would never see Bible reading and prayers disconnected, but God, we would see your spirit at work in all areas. God, this morning, would you use your word in a powerful way to guide us as a church? God, that this could be a key point for us together to understand what you want to do in our lives and our families in this place. So God, we give ourselves fully, fully to you right now in worship as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you up front uh, that if any of this sounds vaguely familiar that we're going to talk about this morning, back in 2015 when I first came, I covered some of this same material. So if you have an amazing memory Uh, or you write notes in your Bible about what was covered, you may think, hey, I recognize some of this. Equally, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you don't remember what I preached last week. And if you do think I preached last week, you're lying to me because Carl preached last week, so I didn't even preach last week. Here's the deal. What's going on in this passage? Let me set the context for you. Genesis 1 through 12. What's happening here at the beginning of your Bible? Well, in Genesis 1 through 2, uh, and, and never be embarrassed if you don't know these stories or the context. Part of the reason we're going through this together so we're, so we're in this, we, we understand what's happening. Genesis 1 through 2, God is establishing his design. In your mind, if you've been around Emmaus for a while and you know that three circles model we use sometimes, it fits so well with the beginning of the Bible. But God's design, his creation, Genesis 1 through 2, is he's establishing his world, establishing the plans for his people. Genesis 3 through 11, you begin to see the sin and the brokenness in the world as people move away from God's design, as creation begins to break down as we see all of the pain and the hurt that would come as a result of sin, and ultimately the death that would come as a result of sin, and you see that working itself out. Now, there are moments of grace. There's there's the prediction, the prophecy there in Genesis 3.15 of the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. There's the story of Noah. So you have elements 
of, of redemption happening there, but it, it's largely death and brokenness and sin. And then in 12, you see a little bit of the beginning of the plan of redemption beginning. Now, Abram is not going to be the Messiah because you don't have to read very far in 12 to figure out that he's already sinning, he's already struggling. But there's good news here. And what you find is this transition between chapter 11 and chapter 12. This contrast between death and sin and hope and the gospel. And I want, to, I want you to see this contrast. And we're going to put some slides up here to help you walk through there. But as you look at scripture in front of you, and kids, I know sometimes it's hard to follow along during sermons, but you can actually draw pictures of chapter 11 versus chapter 12, and you're going to start to see some of this show up for, for yourself. The first contrast is this. Look in chapter 11, verse 2. It says in chapter 11, verse 2, that as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. You go over to chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Here's the contrast. Chapter 11, the people are establishing plans for themselves about where they will go. Chapter 12, the Lord says, I will show you where to go. Chapter 11, we're journeying around where we think we should go. Chapter 12, the Lord says, I'll show you where to go. Second contrast shows up like this. Same verses, different emphasis. As the people migrated from the east, uh, you've got some in translation language disputes that go on at this point. Some translations will say from the east, some will say to the east, some will say in the vicinity of the east. There's some emphasis going on there in chapter 11 about the people in the area of the east. And they found a plain in the land of Shinar. I'm going to tell you in a moment why that is such an important reference. But they find this area. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go to the land that I will show you. What land is being talked about there? What's well, the promised land? Canaan, Israel, the area right there on the east side of, of the Mediterranean Sea. So in chapter 11, everything is happening in the east. Chapter 12, everything is moving to the west. Um, now, when I first came here, I made a joke about the people that live on the east side of I-35 are sinful and the people that live on the west are, are more holy. Bad irony, we live on the east side of I-35 now, so that, that illustration hopefully broke down. But chapter 11, all the evil is moving east. Chapter 12, everything is moving back west. Let me show you a map. Oh, and here's the problem. I was walking over here, and it's been so long since I used my cool little uh, laser pointer, I can't find it now. So I'm going to have to talk you through the map, and then I have to find my laser pointer after the service. So... If you will go to the bottom right of this map down there, you start to get close to southeast Iraq and Kuwait. Bottom right of this map is Ur, the area of Ur where Abram and his family started out. They moved northwest up to the northern part of Syria. So if you go to the middle top of the map, that's where Abram and his family end up at the end of chapter 11 in the area of Haran. 
ultimately, they are going to move down to the southwest back toward Israel and that area of the promised land. So they go, Abram and his family go in this motion on, on this map. Chapter 11 is all pushed back to the east side of the map. You say, okay, cool geography, why does it matter? Here's the reason it matters when you go to the next slide and you see the way the east works. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword. The reference here is that when they were sent out of the Garden of Eden, they were sent east. The Holy of Holies, when it was set up in the tabernacle, it faced to the east. When you left the Holy of Holies, you went west to east to get out. When they went out of the garden, they went east. Next slide, chapter 4. After Cain and Abel, when Cain kills Abel, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. East of Eden, you have gone away from God's presence. You've gone away from God's holiness. Genesis 11, verse 2. As they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Now, here's where it gets really amazing. Where do you see Shinar show up again in your Bible? Well, a couple of different places, but one place you know where you find it is in reference to the exile. In reference to the area when the people were sent out of the promised land, they were sent east to Shinar. So to be sent out of the area and to go east was to go away from God's blessing, go away from God's presence, go away from God's holiness. To go back to the west was to journey back toward the place of God, journey, journey back toward the area of God. Chapter 11 of Genesis is in the east. Chapter 12 is headed back west toward the area of God's presence, toward the area of God's blessing. Next contrast. Let's look at the next one. Verse 3. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks. So, come let us do this. Chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless you. Chapter 11, come let us do this. We're going to do this. We can, we can make these bricks. We can build this up. Chapter 12, the Lord says, no, I will do it. Chapter 11, watch what we can do. Chapter 12, watch what God can do. Chapter 11, let's gather together and make this happen. Chapter 12, God says, I will direct you in what you're supposed to do. Next contrast that shows up. What do they do when they start to build these things together? Verse 4, come, when they build the bricks, what are they for? Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Chapter, oh, let me show you a connection here real quick before we show you the contrast. This idea in 11.4, we're going to build a city and a tower and our name for ourselves. Look at Isaiah 14 just for a second. Isaiah 14 is, and we have to be careful with this to not overplay the theology, but Isaiah 14 is often connected with what we would call the fall of Satan um, or the rebellion of Satan. It's more directly tied to an actual event in the ancient world, but the prophecy does tie in to cosmic realities. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. What does that sound like? That sounds like the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. The Tower of Babel is not just a bad building project. It's satanic. 
when you say we will build for ourselves a monument to heaven, we will find a way to reach the heavens, we will build this, that's not just selfish, it's satanic. It's built on the fact that we will rebel against the ways of God. What's the Genesis 12 reality? Genesis 12, God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Chapter 11, we're going to build the city and the tower to make our name great. Chapter 12, God says, if anything is going to be built or if anything is going to be great, it's because I did it, not because you did it. You see the contrast that's working itself out there. One more that's, that's important to see here. Chapter 11, verse 4 there at the very end, they build this tower. Why? Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Chapter 12, what's the purpose of this? Verse 4, Abram went. Chapter 11, you get the idea of everything is being hoarded in. We're going to build this city and this tower so we can all stay right here. Chapter 12 is we're going out. We're going to go where God calls us to go. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through this. It's not about staying right here. It's about where we can go. Chapter 11, stay here, make our name great. Chapter 12, go and make God's name great. The contrast between those two. This whole reality, this kind of this contrast, shows up so well in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, if, if you're really fast in your Bible or feel comfortable moving around in your Bible app on your phone and you want to go over to Hebrews chapter 11, these verses will be up on the screen, but if, if you like to look at them right in front of you, I want you to feel free to make a connection. And just as we learn about God's word, so many of these stories that we run into in the Old Testament, you find connections in Hebrews chapter 11, that famous hall of faith passage where these, these figures that have had faith in God, imperfect, but had faith in God are lined out. Hebrews chapter 11, in reference to Abram, here's what we find. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents. That's pretty important. Chapter 11 of Genesis, let's build a tower and a city here so we can stay here. Abram says, I just need a tent because I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I'm, I'm journeying. Tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Genesis 11, Genesis 11, who designed and built it? The people did. Genesis 12, pointing ahead to Hebrews 11, God is the designer and builder. 13, these all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. What kind of homeland? If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. And then verse 16. Hebrews eleven sixteen is such a good verse to hold on to. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he, for he has prepared for them a city. Now you take those contrasts. Genesis 11 
is the satanic, rebellious, sinful culmination of people living for themselves in rebellion to God. Genesis 12 is this redemption, this change in the direction of the Bible, where everything is moving back to faith and trust in God and in his ways and his blessings. Here's what I want to do this morning, Emmaus. In light of those contrasts between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, I want to ask us three questions that can set the stage for our church in 2019. Here's the first question. Will we depend on our plans or the Lord's directions? Question number one for Emmaus. Will we depend on our plans or the Lord's directions? Genesis 11, the people set the plans, they set the direction. Genesis 12, God says, this is where you go, this is what you will do. It makes you think of Proverbs chapter 16, that many are the plans in the Lord's heart, uh, or many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. We have plans, but the question is, are they the Lord's plans? Who will we listen to? Will it be about us getting together to determine our direction, or will it be about God guiding us? How do we know his direction? Well, his word that he's given us. Why are we emphasizing this Route 66 Bible reading project? Why did Jaron slap my face on an old classic car for a, for a graphic? Because if we want to know the Lord's directions, we will find it as we study his word. As we immerse ourselves as individuals and families in a church in his word. We'll know his direction as our hearts are open to his spirit. There is a profound connection between living a life of holiness filled with the Spirit and knowing the direction God is going to send us. When we pursue holiness, when we seek to honor the Lord with our lives, when God's Spirit guides us, we're going to know the direction that He wants us to go. So it's Word and Spirit always working together. How do we know God's direction? It's through the work of the church together. That together we are seeking God's direction, not our own direction, but we come together and say, God, guide us. Tell us where you want us to go. I was reminded, as I was thinking about this, that when I talked to the search committee for Emmaus several years ago, they said something, and after they said it, I, I wrote it down because I thought, I need, to, I need to hold on to that. Here's what they told us. They said, we're not looking for a late night TV host. Thank God, because I'm terrible in front of a camera like that and I'm only funny when I don't mean to be. Um, so we're not looking for a late night TV host. We're looking for someone who will teach God's word and will lead our church to act by faith on the truth of God's word. If we have any hope as a church for direction, it will not because of any of my plans it won't be because of any of Jim's plans. It won't be because of any of your plans. It will be because the Lord has guided and empowered who we're going to be and where we're going to go, that we will listen to him. Now, oftentimes, oftentimes, God's directions are general before they're specific. He sends us in a general direction, and he says, okay, now this is going to look more specifically like this. Oftentimes, 
His directions are challenging, but the question is, will we listen to him or will we make our own plans? Question number two. In light of those contrasts between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, will we build our own temporary kingdoms or will we allow God to build his eternal kingdom? Will we seek, like the people in Genesis 11, to build our own temporary kingdoms that ultimately will one day crumble because they're made out of human products, these bricks that will one day crumble? Or are we seeking to build God's eternal kingdom or to allow him to build that kingdom through us? It, when you think about Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel, it makes you think a little bit about this parable from Luke 12 that Jesus tells. Let me walk you through this parable from Luke chapter 12. Uh, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 15, he told him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But listen to this part. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What's the question that we're asking together? Will we build our own temporary kingdoms, or will we seek to build God's eternal kingdom? What does this look like? You say, okay, I'm on board. I want, I want to be a part about, about building God's kingdom. Here's the first thing we have to realize. There's no middle ground. And this is the part that's really hard to grasp, and it's so hard during the middle of the week when you just get caught up in the day-to-day realities of life. But here's what we have to grasp. Every single day, with every decision we make, and, and just let all ten fingers point back at, at me at this point, we are either building God's kingdom or our kingdom. And we want so badly for there to be a middle ground. Like, I'm just sort of trying to get through today. Like, sometimes that's a pretty good challenge, just to get through the day. But at the end of the story, either we are building God's kingdom or are we building our own? What does it look like when we build God's kingdom? Well, just to lay it out there, it looks a lot like the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And the good news is, next week we go back to our study in the book of Matthew, and we're going to spend a long time going through the Sermon on the Mount saying, God, what does it look like when your kingdom takes root? What does it look like where we don't store up treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but we store up treasures in heaven? where none of those things can be destroyed. What does it look like when, when we do that? We're going to spend a lot of time going through that. A couple of applications for this morning. Just remember, number one, we have been blessed in order to be a blessing. This is that question I hope you'll ask in your home this week. How have we been blessed, and how in turn can we be a blessing? We have received these things. Remember chapter 11 in Genesis? Chapter 11 is all about hoarding the things that you've been given. All of the things of the world that God has given the people, they are trying to hoard them and keep them in one place. We teach our kids, if you see a puddle of water and it's been baking in the sun for a long time, don't play in it because it's probably toxic. There's probably all kinds of bacteria growing in there because it's been in one place. It's not flowing anywhere. Water that stays in one place under heat becomes toxic. 
people who hoard the things of God, keep them to themselves in one place under heat, become toxic. How do we remain spiritually healthy? We take the things God has given us, and then we just distribute them back out. God, you have blessed us in this way. It's not for me to hold on to. It's for me to distribute, to be a old school hymn, be a channel of blessings. Almost broke into it there for a moment. But uh, like we, we receive these things. How can we send them out? What does this mean for a church? If we have a building, the only reason this building is here is to be about building God's kingdom and not ours. The only reason we have a budget, the only reason we have resources, the only reason we gather together is so, God, how have you blessed us as a church, and how can we turn around and bless others? One of the things I love about the buildings at Emmaus, and, and especially when you talk about our buildings over on the south and west side of the, of the property, those things are almost never empty during the week. We have these resources, we have this property, and they're used every single day of the week. Uh, and human credit, to, to Jim Lee for making that happen, but just the fact that we have these resources, but they're used as a blessing to people around us. Another thing to remember about this is when we think about building God's kingdom, when we think about being a church, the name of Jesus is infinitely more important than the name of Emmaus. At the end of the day, as a church, our goal is not to make Emmaus great, our goal is to magnify the name of Jesus. And that sounds so good on Sunday morning from a stage, and it is really hard to live out on a daily basis and to think about what does that mean as a church. People knowing the name of Jesus is more important than people knowing the name of Emmaus. There's a good phrase that goes along with this that kind of helps us work through it. Here's the phrase. Our goal is to be the best church for our community, not the best church in our community. Our goal is to be the best church for our community, not the best church in our community. When you start competing about who has the best church in the community, man, that gets toxic fast. Like, it's just no good. But the question is, God has placed us here. How can we the, be the best church for our community? Because then we're set free. Then we have no one to impress. Then we have nothing to prove. Our only goal is how do we serve Jesus the best we can right here where he has placed us. So God... We must become less, you must become more. John 3.30. I become less, he becomes more. I become less, he becomes greater. Question number three. Question number three, based on Genesis 11 and 12. Will we entrench ourselves for self-protection, or, or will we, good night, I'll try again, or will we allow God to spread us for his glory? Genesis 11 was about being entrenched in one location. We're going to build a city and a tower, and we're going to stay right here. Genesis 12 was about being sent out. I'll go where God, where God sends me. The previous point, we talked about our resources, making sure they're open. We live open-handed. This point is about our homes and our schedules and our futures. God, these are open to you. Now, do we own a home do we live in a place for a while? Do we make plans in our planner or our phone? Sure, we do those things. But we do them not so they become our masters, but so they're used to serve God. So my home doesn't dominate me, or my schedule or my planner doesn't dominate me. It's just a tool to make sure I'm using my home and my time in a way that honors the Lord. We live open to the future. 
What's the plan? What, what's God sending his people to do? He says, go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go so that all people will be. Leave the 99 and go to the one. Sinful, Genesis 11 humanity says, stay right here and protect yourself. Genesis 12, good news, gospel living says, go. And don't forget, how old was Abram when he went? 75. This is a generational reality. That you say to the last day that I have, this life is not my own. To the last breath that I breathe on this earth, my life is open to whatever God would do with me. There's a generation of college students and younger that God is raising up that just came off the Urbana Conference, that just came off Passion Conference, that just came off the Cross Conference. All these conferences that are raising up a generation to send them out. People that are saying, here's my life, God. Use it however you want. We have an older generation that says, I will give my last breath to the things of the Lord a younger generation coming up, and then those of us in the middle that say, God, here's my family, here's my life, here's all I have, use it to build your kingdom. Send us wherever you will. And this idea of being entrenched versus being open is not just about geography. (laughs) It's also a mindset. Genesis 11 mindset says this is our place and our model and our style and our way of doing church and this is all we're going to do. Genesis 12 says, God, if it honors you and it spreads the name of Jesus, open us up to that. So it's not just geography, it's also mindset. God, am I going to live entrenched, closed up, or am I going to live open-handed, open future, whatever you say? Let's go back real quick and wrap this up here. Because in Genesis 12, You don't just have a contrast between 11 and 12. In 12, it begins this story of redemption that goes all the way through the Bible. Um, I've used the phrase reverse the curse because that's what begins to happen in Genesis chapter 12. But you think about the direction that scripture is going. So Genesis 11, let's all speak the same language, let's all live in one place, and let's live for our purposes. Genesis 12 is about this diversity, about God sending people out to all places. Where does that point to? That points to Jesus. What did we learn in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 about the birth of Jesus? There are people coming from all different areas. The wise men, where do the wise men come from? They come from the east, and they go west, and they find the Messiah there. And what do they do when they find the Messiah? They build a temple and they stay there in one place no they don't do that they go back to where God has sent them and so it's this mentality if we come to Jesus and Jesus says in me we'll find life now go (laughs) go 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 and tell all nations about this good news the story of the church in Acts chapter 2 here's a pretty cool thing we obviously don't have any time to go into it but just to kind of tease it out there and let you run with it Acts chapter 2 the formation of the church and the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit there in Acts chapter 2, that is a reversal of the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. When you read Acts chapter 2, you should read it as a complete reversal of Genesis chapter 11 because with the formation of the church, God is bringing 
together people from all nations and all tongues and all tribes, and they're filled with the Spirit of God. And then what happens? Do they stay in Jerusalem? No. They're sent back out to go to the places that they come from. And so Acts 2 undoes the curse of Genesis chapter 11, and it celebrates this diversity that's supposed to always characterize the life of the church. And then finally, this idea of new creation. You fast forward to Revelation 5 and Revelation 7. What's happening there? It's praise being given to God by every tribe and ton and people and nation. Genesis 11, let us gather our things together and worship ourselves. Genesis 12, pointing to Revelation, let us let go of everything and together with multiple voices worship our God. Revelation destroys the curse of Genesis chapter 11. Why is it possible? It's possible because of the work of Jesus Christ, the power of his spirit at work in the world and work among his people. Imagine a church that says we will depend on God's direction and not our own. We will build his eternal kingdom and not our temporary kingdoms. We will go wherever he tells us. We will live open-handed and not entrench ourselves. And we will do it together by faith, by the power of his spirit, on the basis of his word. That's what I want to be a part about. That's what I want to do. That's where I want us to go. Not because of any one of us, but because of our great God. Would you bow your heads with us? Here in just a moment, we're going to sing a song about the kingdom of God at work in the world. During that song, we'll stand together, we'll sing, we'll take up our offering as a church. You may have one of those cards if you want to be a part of our Bible reading plan and you want to stick your email on that card, email address, and, and turn that in. You can do that. Use the beginning of the year right now, during this final song of response, to say, God, I want to live by faith. I want to be a part of your kingdom. Maybe that means coming here to the front to pray, to commit yourself to the Lord this year. Maybe you recognize, you know what, I've spent my whole life building my own kingdom. I need to give my life to the Lord. You would come to the front, we will pray with you through that. It might be that the best thing you can do right now is just stand and sing with all your heart about what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. Whatever it is, you're gonna have a chance to respond. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your work and our lives. God, thank you for the power of your word, the way your spirit changes our lives from the inside out. God, thank you for the generations of this church. God, all that you would do in and through us. So God, we give ourselves to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.